0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Skyrim Audio Adventure. I hope that you're enjoying your holidays and I think that it's just about right for us to finish out the year with a strong set of three chapters, the first of which dropping right here, right now. Big thanks to all you out there listening, my patrons who support me, and of course those who've reached out on Discord. Thank you for your interest, it means so much. And so without further ado, let's get into chapter 11 of the Skyrim Audio Adventure, back in the woods. The canopies of the conifers tapered to neat points at their tops. They swayed like drunken ladies, dancing with all the fluid grace of the grass on the plains of Whiterun. The wind bent them in much the same way, only slower. Now and again the hunter's stomach did somersaults, when a tree leaned over so far he thought it might come crashing down on him. However, all he needed to do was turn his head to the side, and he was in a deathly still forest morning. Blue sky above, pale mist hanging to the needle carpet of the forest floor. He was down here, far separated from the blustery day above. The hunter lay on his back, half buried in sprigs and needles, pine cone off his right ear, two stones resting on his feet, false finger gripping his bow, arrow notched to the string. He was waiting, patiently, listening to the thrush and the sparrow, to the muskrat and the marten. He was looking forward to getting back to the river and washing his clothes as he had deliberately laid down in a pile of elk droppings to mask his scent. Luckily, he didn't have to hold his breath too much thanks to the fresh pine needles under his nose. It was best that his natural musk be thoroughly hidden. He had a date today. He'd been tracking activity in this area. Something had been foraging. He had a few guesses as to what it was, but one fact seemed certain. It would be coming back. He breathed as slowly and quietly as he could manage, the faintest wisp of chilled fog curling out of his nostrils. It had been a week since he and Bracknell had taken the trudge out of Whiterun, across the plains, through the little village that had sprung up around the hunting Brew meadery, up the foothills, to the slopes, and back into the Riverwood Valley. They'd had time to readjust to living off the land, but not to make headway into the mystery of the mountain. Legs were tired, plans needed making, pantries needed stocking, and for the hunter, his skills needed testing. He was glad to be back on the trail, though it took him some time to catch so much as a squirrel given how clumsy he was with his new finger. Healing magic or no, a walk to Whiterun and back, a brush with werewolves, and several long days of training with the companions would have any hunter's faculties in a fragile state. The hunter decided Aella deserved to be her own category of ordeal. Combating her antics had easily taken a few years off his life. Not to mention his head would randomly hurt from time to time. He wondered what she was up to. He had had time to think of more questions. If vampirism could be contracted as a disease, could lycanthropy as well? She obviously had enhanced senses, but were they more acute in her wolf form? What? happened to her clothes when she shifted? Best not ask that last one, unless he wanted a week of teasing and oh, half the guild would hear about it. That was strange. Since when did he care what someone else thought about him, let alone a group? He should focus on the questions that really mattered. Like what was the date? He'd forgotten how easy it was to lose time out here. Rain's hand had passed and they were well into second seed now, surely, but how far? Mid-year couldn't be long away, right? Maybe another week? Or was it already mid-year? Since their return, Bracknell had been taking advantage of his lack of success on hunts to show him the basics of alchemy and scrimshaw. Because when you've got no hides to sell, you can get by on antler-carved trinkets and stamina potions. So, so many stamina potions. He was brought abruptly back to Nern by a distinct rustling sound and the snap of a twig. His date, whoever they were, had arrived. As a wise man once said, twigs never snap on their own, they snap when something steps on them. He was sure his quarry had just entered the killing zone. Now that he thought about it, there were actually several times when a twig might snap on its own. High heat could make the wood pop, dense foliage could snap a limb with its weight, wind, water, and stone, all of these things could snap a twig. Who was that man who said that anyway? When did he say it? What brought it about? Was it even a man? Were they really that wise? Who's to say who is wise? Is it a matter of substance or results? There were moments when he considered Bracknell wise. But he lived in a shack. If he was truly wise, shouldn't he be in a manor? He knew he would never last in a manor. Like a bird who builds a nest too big to maintain, he would eventually abandon it. While to many, these thoughts would seem useless for the hunter. They gallantly saw him through the 20 seconds of boredom it took for the prey to get settled into foraging. Not wasting another second, he sat up and took his shot. He did not explode out of the pine brush like a saber cat, and he did not need to draw his arrow back in a long, exaggerated motion. His arrow was readied, and he hardly sat up enough to rustle the foliage. He was already at full draw, Steady at his anchor point, when the clearing came into focus. Faintly red-tinted tree trunks led the eye down to the patchwork floor of a tree-fall gap. Bushes flourished next to tiny trees, all eager to win the race to the light above. White and yellow mushroom caps sprung from the gargantuan carcass of the fallen sentinel. Though rotted, splintered, and broken, the tree was still breathtaking in proportion. Even on its side, the trunk stood several heads taller than the hunter. In the foreground, camouflaged in the stodgy brown underbrush, the hunter spotted movement. He waited the fraction of a second it took for his eye to discern a forelimb and ribcage, aimed for the spot where the heart would be, and released. The arrow hadn't even struck home when the hunter was kicking the stones he'd been using for counterbalance off of his legs and scrambling to his feet. He had made a mistake. As the arrow was flying to its target, the hunter's brain finished interpreting what his eyes were telling him. He didn't need to hear the pitiful squeal as the arrow hit home to know what he'd done. He didn't need to hear the angry screeching and snorting. He just needed to run. He made for a low tree he'd spotted earlier and leapt up into the branches. Hanging upside down like an opossum, he looked down to see an adult wild boar shoot out of the bushes, run circles around the tree, glaring up at him with blinding fury. Many would mistakenly liken wild boars to their comparatively docile domestic counterparts. Those people would be wrong on two counts. Firstly, pigs have a surprisingly high capacity for bastardry, as most intelligent animals do. Secondly, wild boars are outstandingly aggressive and deadly. Those razor-sharp tusks could easily tear him apart, or at least cut the main artery in his leg. He'd seen it happen to other hunters firsthand. Throw a piglet into the mix, and the aggressiveness goes up tenfold, and he had just shot this one's child in the heart. The crazy thing kicked its legs around wildly in what he could only interpret as rage. It wheeled around his tree at a startling speed before making an attempt to run directly up the trunk. The hunter cannot account for the noise he made when it nearly got seven feet up and swiped at his rear with its tusk. Alas, it fell back to Nern with a thud, and started pacing back and forth under him while he just clung to the branch like it was the only thing keeping him glued to the world, regretting everything. He knew this might happen. The sign had had traces of boar, but he had been betting on deer with the shape of the tracks and the nibbled vegetation. Perhaps the signs of rooting had been covered by debris or something. He should have seen this coming. He was better than this! He rubbed his forehead into the rough bark of the branch with agitation. There was a time and place to beat himself up, and this was not it. His bow was still clasped in his augmented hand. Did he have any arrows? There was a chance that his desperate scramble into the tree had shaken them loose from his quiver. Breathing away the tremor in his hand, he reached down and felt the fletched ends. It seemed he'd lucked out. Most of them were still there. Just for a moment, he saw Ayela's gorgeous body laying back across a rock as she shot with that unorthodox yet impeccable form. The shrieks and angry snorts of the boar brought him back to Nern with a rude jolt. Shaking the memory out of his eyes, he grabbed three arrows from the quiver placed two in his teeth and awkwardly notched the other, arms still wrapped around the branch. Adjusting his legs so one was swung over the branch with its ankle locked in the opposite knee, he tentatively let go with his hands and let himself swing slowly towards the boar. When his head could finally look down, he saw sabers and a snout rushing up to him. He gave a panicked squeak and pulled himself back up to the branch. He felt a distinct lightening. And heard a clattering that could only be the rest of his arrows tumbling to the forest floor. He would have swore if he wasn't sure he'd lose the two arrows he had in his mouth if he did. Turning his head, he glared down at the swine. Any guilt and sympathy he felt for this grieving parent had dried up in the blink of an eye. Now this damn thing was just a problem. It was running circles around the tree, every now and then stopping to pace back and forth below him, eyes daring him to try it again. The challenge lit a fire in the hunter's stomach. He knew a way around this. He let go again, and heard the boar run up and jump. However, he kept his core tight and didn't offer the devilish thing a target. He heard it hit the ground, and knowing that it would need to run around to get an angle on him again, he let himself down and drew his arrow. The boar darted around the far side of the tree. The hunter took aim at its flank and shot. The arrow stuck in the ground by the protruding roots of the tree and the hunter immediately plucked an arrow from his mouth and drew back again. He knew what was coming. He aimed to his right, just as the boar came blazing around the tree to take another swipe at him. The hunter shot, but he knew he'd missed the second he released. He was slow and had already been curling back up to the branch when he'd let the arrow go. He didn't bother making note of where this one landed. If he lived, he'd track it down. If he didn't, then it didn't matter. All that mattered was that he'd missed, and was down to his last arrow. He took the arrow from his mouth, the shaft slippery with saliva, and notched it as he thought about his next move. The damn boar was too fast. If he dropped down, he'd almost surely get his leg slashed open. He couldn't climb up so he was on top of the branch without the risk of dropping his bow. Even if he pulled it off, he'd have a longer shot, harsher balance, and more canopy to contend with. Speed was still the rub. The boar was a troubling combination of too fast and too close. He almost didn't have space to lead his shot. He'd need to catch it when it was standing still. Trouble was, it never was standing still. It was darting and pacing, and whenever he dropped down, it was running up the tree and taking a swipe at him. He must have mulled it over for about a minute, and had even considered just trying to wait the boar out, as crazy as that was. The boar could eat practically anything around it, while his pack was hidden off in a nearby hollow. What's more is that boars don't normally travel in pairs. If he wasn't quick, the whole family might be brought down on his head. There would be no waiting that out. As he muttered a string of curses, mouth now free to do so, a cluster of pine needles came into view, floating gently down from the upper canopy. They twirled slow and soft, weaving neither this way or that free now from the wind that had loosed them high above. The hunter watched their slow descent as they fell by him and landed by the uncaring feet of the boar. At long last he had the thought that would prove to be his happiest of the day. He took a deep breath and started moving. He began with a cheeky wiggle of his bum, just to let the boar know that something was happening. Then he let himself swing upside down once more. The boar scrambled up the trunk and leapt, He brought the arrow to bear just in time to see the boar's tusk shooting up towards him. The hunter didn't flinch, however, for this time, rather than seeing a threat, all he saw was his target, suspended helpless and still in the air before him. He drew to his anchor and released the arrow. Joe, that's how it happened, said Bracknell, sitting back on his bar stool, wiping ale froth from his beard. Yep, every detail, said the hunter, sipping from his own tankard. Around them, the sleeping giant inn was gently packed. The reason for the gathering was apparent to anyone who walked in and saw the large boar roasting on a spit over the central fire pit. The smell would have been enough to lure most of them in, but Orgnar had decided to break out the good salt for this one. The normally lethargic cook had come alive and was fussing over the roasting beast like a worried mother, or perhaps a meticulous artist. The cinnamon from the south, sujama from the east, apples from the north, and assorted salts from the west. He sprinkled, rubbed, and lathered. He'd even sewn some apples into the boar's gutted belly. Now, as rivulets of fat dripped into the fire, hissing tantalizingly, the inn was hooked. They could smell the feast coming and not one of them wanted to miss out. Out of respect for the hunter's skill, Orgnar had left the arrow protruding from the top of the beast's skull. Bracknell and the hunter looked on from the bar comfortably. I was wondering how the arrow wound up in its mouth. I just took the shot I had.
1: Oh, it's quite the story, if you believe it.
0: The surly barmaid sidled back to their end of the bar and placed a fresh cup in front of the hunter. Well, you don't need to believe it since you've already paid for the pig. The hunter reached for the new drink but paused when he felt the cup was sickly warm to the touch. What's this? Delphine watched him evenly.
1: It's a drink, courtesy of Sven.
0: The hunter took his hand off and leaned down to sniff its contents. After a moment, he recoiled and quirked an eyebrow at the barmaid. This is piss. Yep. Delphine nodded.
1: Certainly is. Wanna tell me what that's about?
0: Bracknell leaned in cautiously, peering at the cup. You just cannot get along with these bards, eh? What you do? Go sell him a bomb potion? Rope him into the war? Moon him from across the river?
1: I didn't do anything. He implicated me and was being a real creep about it. That sounds like him, but what I want to know is whether I need to find a new bard. This isn't the kind of gesture I appreciate in my inn.
0: Well, no, I don't think you need to give him the boot. I imagine I did mess up his whole season. Bracknell chuckled and raised his tankard. Well, stranger, you've made an enemy. Congratulations. Cheers. The hunter said dryly, lifting his ale, then double and triple checking that it was indeed ale. But, as I was saying, no need to do anything. I don't need him hating me any more than he already does. The barmaid nodded.
1: Uh, That's fair, I'll have a talk with him later, but you mind telling me what you did?
0: The hunter turned and looked back at the crowded inn. It was easy to spot the bard. He was the one trying to stab the hunter with his gaze. Have you seen Camilla around here lately? Delphine opened a window and chucked the piss cup out into the weeds. As she turned back, her expression was
1: pensive. No, not so much. Is that what this is about? We were all wondering why she started spending so much time with Veindal this week. What exactly happened?
0: It's a long story.
1: Oh please, it happened two weeks ago. It could hardly be an epic, can it?
0: I never took you for a gossip.
1: Yeah, clearly you've never been an innkeeper.
0: Well, there was at one time a family of stoats shacked up in my tent, but... I'm sure the
1: eviction was hellish. Now come on. Sven, spill!
0: Actually, Bracknell interjected, I'd like to propose an exchange of information. Delphine rolled her eyes over to the grizzly man.
1: Brack, I'll tickle
0: your nose with a thistle. Don't you make me. She hissed. Hear me out, he grinned. The kid and I are smoking and drying the piglet. With that and the coin you've given us, we're just about set to head out to Bleak Falls Mountain like we've been planning. You know anyone who knows the southwest part of the range better than me? Delphine pinched her chin and closed her eyes and thought a moment.
1: There was an old lady who lived out by the falls. I don't know if she's still there. It's been a while since she's come through. Anyone else? Well, shit, stranger, you're from the south, ain't you? How about it?
0: The hunter jerked slightly as the attention was returned to him. Uh, I, I know some hunters and fishermen out by the lake, but I don't know if they're still there or if the bandits forced them out like they did me. Well, there you have it, Bracknell. That good enough for you? That'll do. The old man downed his drink. Delphine resembled a hawk as she locked back onto the hapless hunter.
1: Okay, stranger, let's have it. How did you end up in Sven's next spiteful ballad?
0: Um, the hunter looked between the two nervously. I feel like you two have built this up a bit too much. Alas, he was wrong. The gossip was good, the pork was great. The two hunters had a direction, and another warm evening at the Sleeping Giant Inn served to beat back the chill of a clear Skyrim night. Clear day, the forest smelled of musk and decaying bark damp from the night's dew, the song sparrows sang and the creeper crept. The two hunters were still wiping sleep from their eyes as they stepped carefully along a game trail on the west side of the White River. The elk were nervous, the wolves had fled, and the salmon were missing. Everything pointed to the bleak falls mountains. Something had come to roost here and needed shaking loose. The pair's best lead lived apparently half a day south, and so, with the stink of ale on their clothes, and the salty taste of fresh pork jerky on their tongues, the pair grouchily roused themselves at first light, and set out. A woodpecker was testing the integrity of the canopy, flitting around above their heads, looking for the perfect trunk. The knocking echoed oddly through the wood, making it next to impossible to know exactly where it was coming from. Ferns parted easily at their ankles, and wildberry thickets nipped at their knees. As the pair came to a fallen tree, Bracknell held up a hand, short of breath. Watch! Uh, watch out a here for a bit. I need to... I've got a hitchhiker in my boot. Fine by me, said the hunter, and the pair veered off toward the gnarled log and parked their respective rumps. Uh, Bracknell sat back and stretched his legs out, sighing harshly as his old bones creaked. He rubbed his oh. knees and spotted the hunter watching him. He gave one of his trademark crooked smiles. <laughs> don't grow old, stranger. The hunter shrugged off his pack and began shuffling around in it. That shouldn't be a problem at the rate I'm going. Oh, sure, I thought the same thing when I was your age. Were you in the Legion, then? The old Nord stared at the canopy for a moment as if counting. Er uh, that I was, that I was. An archer? Yup. Decorated? What does it matter? I'm just wondering if I've read about you at some point. Ah, uh, trying to dig up dirt, are you? Bracknell finally got around to wrenching off his boot and shaking a few small stones loose. What a dreadful sneak you'd make, coming right to me with such underhanded endeavors. Well, I figured you'd be good enough not to rat me out to yourself. The hunter deadpanned. Bracknell cackled and kicked off his other boot to let his yellowed toes breathe. Ha ha ha! History books! I doubt it. But I definitely helped out some poor soldiers who needed saving. I reckon I did more than my fair share of that sort of thing. You weren't sticking your neck out like that? I, I was a proud soldier. Proud? Patriotic? Good looking? <laughs> I took everything the Legion could throw at me. I never hesitated. Never worried. Only things waiting for me were a pretty lady or a savant guard. Never thought I'd have to live with what I saw. Never thought I'd have to grow old with it. I've had so many chances, but what can I say? I'm just too clever to die. The hunter had been pulling a pouch out of his pack, but paused at his friend's somber tone. If that's so, I'd say Savangard awaits regardless. You've still got some business here. You've got the Mountain, Hulda, the Companions, and Anela. Oh, don't you worry about me. I'm not going anywhere. The Nord waved off the concern before leaning into the half-breed. What you got there? Well, the hunter held up a knotted length of string, a makeshift needle, and a few sharp boar's teeth. I'm thinking of making a necklace out of these. For yourself or to shell? Probably for myself. Are you going to carve anything into the ivory? Like a fetish or a talisman? Or just a superficial design? Hmm. No, I was thinking I'd keep it plain. Nothing wrong with that. Say, do you worship Talus? Bracknell jolted with surprise. A, b- a bit of an odd question. Well, I've heard you say by the nine, and not everyone does. Well, I'm a Nord, after all. I've heard you say it, too. Well, yeah, you're a Nord, and I'm half-Nord, and we've lived around Nords our whole lives, but really, it's such a loaded phrase since the White Gold Concorded. It makes me wonder, do you worship anything? Brachnal shrugged. The mountains, the fields, the woods and stone. What brought this on? I was just thinking about how Aela has seen, and I was saved by Kinnereth's temple. It's just not something that I've ever done much thinking about. The old Nord nodded. There are a lot of things that you can believe without worship. I was born into the Church of the Nine Divines, and if I can still say Nine Divines and mean it with all my heart then I suppose that means I must believe in Talos. I've lived my whole life knowing I was headed towards Savengard. And if I believe in Shor's great mead hall, then I suppose I must believe in Shor, as creator of the world and father of all mortal life. And if I believe in Shor, then I suppose I believe Masar and Secunda came from his corpse. His corpse? I heard they were... siblings. His children. Is there a difference? Sure sounds like a difference to me. I suppose it would. We're putting the machinations of the gods in terms that we mortals can understand. It's like trying to translate a poem from Akaviri to Dwemer to the common tongue. Not everything's going to make sense. You've been ignoring their existence until recently, so for you, it's like you're trying to read this poem blind. The hunter paused as he was fiddling with his scrimshaw tools and ran his fingers through his hair. Well, that's encouraging. Where am I supposed to begin? Oh, well, that's easy. We start with the stars, the canvas upon which the old stories are painted. The hunter glanced up at the blue sky beyond the treetops. Huh, he grunted, unimpressed. Oh, perhaps it's best we revisit this later, Bracknell admitted. For now, let's focus on the gifts we have before us. The hunter nodded. The mountains, the fields, the woods, and stone. I can at least get behind that. Not just that. Bracknell stood barefoot and started peering around the edges of the log they sat on. This right here is a kingly gift, he said, emerging holding up a couple of wide-headed pale brown mushrooms. Fungus? Not just any fungus. This is mora tapinella. It's a very useful alchemical ingredient. You're not trying to sell more of those virility potions, are you? I know I don't have much pride, but- No, 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 this, this is legitimate. This cap is full of revitalizing energy. Just the kind of thing an old fart like me needs now. These frills underneath the cap will expand your mind, help you reach out to the stars and hear the whispers of the gods. The neck will untangle your senses, help you manifest your reality upon the world, and lastly, you see this black gunk around the base? Yeah? That will just about kill you. The hunter watched his old friend for a moment, doubt evident on his face. I believe one thing you said. I'll let you guess which one it is. Ah, you'll learn it all with time, Bracknell said, breaking off a cap, cleaning out the frills, and eating it. As a hunter, you really should know these things. I know plenty. Do you know why everyone liked Pinot the friendly mushroom? The old nord chewed in thought for a moment before shaking his head. Why? The hunter gave a wry smile. Because he was a fun guy. (laughs) Oh, divines preserve us! Bracknell buried his face in his hands. Snap! Suddenly, the two hunters were crouched down behind their log. The wisdom of the wild written deep in their bones, honing their reflexes to a fine and uniform point. Like nervous squirrels in a hollow, they slowly periscoped their heads, looking for the source of the disturbance. After several seconds, the hunter spotted the culprit an elk. Proud, male, rich mane, and a full rack of antlers. It was grazing about 50 yards up the hill, stepping along apparently oblivious to them. He signaled Bracknell indicating the creature and its direction. The elder hunter followed along and nodded slowly before dropping to the ground and drawing his knife. The hunter looked on quizzically as Bracknell cut the stalks of several fern fronds and started stuffing them in the hunter's pockets and tangling them into his hair and furs. What are you doing? The hunter whispered. The old Nord's eyes were urgent. You need to get closer. We have jerky and this isn't what we came for. We're not going to kill it. You need to get a closer look at its wound. What wound? It's limping. Didn't you see? The hunter hadn't. He looked back as a full fern was stuffed down the neck of his furs, and sure enough, the beast did appear to be limping. On top of that, it seemed to be a little impaired, stumbling as it grazed, twitching its head to odd angles, and still not registering the two humans down the slope. Understanding the hunter waited until Bracknell gave him a thumbs up, and, quiet as a muskrat, started creeping his way through the underbrush. It felt strange sneaking up on an animal without his bow, but he found that it helped to have an extra hand free for support in navigation. More than once, he wound up crawling on his belly, wishing he could slither like a snake. He scared a tiny lizard from its perch, but luckily, it was no rabbit, and the elk didn't notice. The woodpecker continued to knock up above them, seeming never to be satisfied with the wood it found. A huckleberry bush proved to be the savior of his little adventure. It distracted the elk with its succulent fruit just long enough for him to hop a log, take refuge behind a tree, and peek out at the unwitting creature. What he saw made his blood run cold. One of the elk's hind legs was blackened and oozing with half-dried blood and fresh yellow pus. The flesh was hairless and gnarled, cracked like dried mud and leaves. In those cracks, angry red flesh peeked out at the world. There was no gash, no bite or puncture. Rather, at the epicenter of the damage, there was what looked like a faint imprint. A hand. He smelt the air. The flesh was necrotic, rotting while still attached to its host. The tinge of char was in the air. The elk had been burned. Forcibly and deliberately burned. What could do that? He had no idea. Why anything would do that, He knew even less. It moved gingerly, only putting pressure on the leg when absolutely necessary, huckleberry juice dripping sloppily from its lips, eyes glazed over with what he could only imagine was enough pain to rend the mind asunder. Out of sheer burning pity, the hunter didn't move so as not to spook the poor creature off of its treat. After several minutes, it hobbled away, and the hunter stood, strange fern man that he was and turned to look at Bracknell. The old Nord was waiting back by the trail with their packs, but the hunter was sure the man could see the shocked whites of his eyes even from this distance. The investigation had certainly gotten off to a curious start. He took a step back towards his companion but suddenly jumped at the harsh rustle and thud of something falling into the brush. He spun around looking for the source of the sound. At first he saw nothing but the brightening forest. Then. He spotted a depression in a cluster of ferns and stepped over to it. He saw there on the ground, eyes dried and empty, feathers faded, beak-worn blunt, a dead woodpecker. They danced with the river most of the day. At times they could hear its roar as a whisper in the distance, at times they were walking along its bank, and at times the river was far below them in a ravine while they navigated rocky cliffs. The shade of the trees had just begun to creep along the ground as if fleeing the all-consuming shadow of the mountain. It was into that gloom that the pair trudged. A path had become clear one worn away not by the claws and hooves of beasts, but by the feet of man or myrrh. A ghostly light danced ahead of them, flickering between the trees like a blinking eye. As they approached, cautious as they always were, and peered from atop a sunken boulder hemmed in by thick roots, they saw that the light was coming from a window in a small wooden shack. It had a modest garden with an ineffectual fence, It had a quaint chimney that was leaking a faint wisp of smoke. The walls were home to mosses and lichens, but not enough to indicate neglect or abandonment. The shack was altogether unremarkable, save for its very presence in this seldom-wandered corner of the valley. You think this is it? The hunter whispered, scanning the clearing. Must be, said Bracknell, in a voice so quiet it was almost drowned out by his own scratching of his beard. Old woman living out in the woods. I mean, it's not like she'd be in a cave, right? Not necessarily. I've known my fair share of crones who preferred the wild crags to any comfort of home. Huh, can't say I don't understand. At least a bit. Oh, you're well on your way. Just need to grow out your nails and you're set. The hunter scrunched his lips and shook his head. He couldn't afford the laugh he'd caught behind his teeth. <sighs> Shall we go say hi? Aye, I'll go first and play diplomat. You watch my back. Got it. With that, the pair broke cover and slowly descended into the shadowy clearing. Flecks of light slithered through the high canopy as the sun got lower in the west. The hunter couldn't help but hunch his shoulders slightly as he moved out of the safety of the trees. The shack sat in its conspicuous banality, the lights in the windows following their movements like a steady gaze marking their approach. The hunter noted that the ground was soft, like that of the wheat field. As they rounded the far side, they saw a poorly mounted door, so full of cracks and gaps in the molding, it really seemed more of a superficial gesture than a true barrier against the elements. Alas, it sat closed, and there seemed to be nothing to do but brave the quaint stone footpath and knock. Bracknell glanced back at him and shrugged. He gave a nod, and the old hunter approached the door and lifted his hand to knock.
1: Why, hello there!
0: The pair would have jumped clear through the canopy had they not already been on alert. Sitting in a chair adjacent to the door, in plain view of them, a gray shrouded figure appeared. A woman swathed in assorted mismatched rags. Her kindly, withered face peeked out from an oversized pale hood. How in all of Nurn? had they both missed her. Perhaps it was that her clothes camouflaged her against the backdrop. Perhaps they had just been too focused on the door. Perhaps she had
1: simply not been there a second ago. It's rare I get visitors out here. What can I do for a couple of wildlings such as yourselves?
0: The hunter's hand was hovering over his blade, but Bracknell composed himself and bowed politely. Good afternoon, my lady. We hunters come seeking your wisdom and insights."
1: -"Oh, is that so?"
0: The robed figure cocked an ear.
1: -"And what insights could a poor old woman like myself provide?"
0: -"Nothing so much as experience of the land. We are new to these trails and woods you make your home, and a lovely home it is. Won't you offer us counsel?" -"Why, of course." The old woman said in a disarmingly kind and matronly tone.
1: How could I say no when you ask so politely? Please, have a seat. I hope your young companion doesn't mind standing. I have only one extra chair.
0: The hunter moved cautiously to lean against the shack as Bracknell set down his bow and quiver and offered his hand to the strange woman. She placed her hand in his and he planted a gentle kiss on the back of it. As he eased himself into a wooden chair that had also blended into its surroundings remarkably well the mysterious woman lowered her hood rather than a corpse-faced crone with features hewn by the elements they saw the sweet kind face of a woman who bore all the signs of having been a true beauty in her youth fine white hair tied back in a bun a button nose snapping sapphire eyes and handsome smile lines all gave the impression of grace in quiet kindness. I am Bracknell, and this is my companion, Stranger.
1: Stranger?
0: The woman exclaimed and turned those snapping eyes onto the hunter.
1: Quite an interesting name you have, young man.
0: The hunter opened his mouth to respond, and his ears popped. Uh, thank you. The woman hummed through a sweet smile. Hmm,
1: well, I'm a niece. It's a pleasure to meet both of you.
0: Anish, Bracknell echoed with a nod. Charmed, truly. How long have you been out here, Anish?"
1: Oh, about ten years now. After my husband passed, I came out here to get away from all the pity and the memories. Once I recovered, I found that the quiet life suited me, and here I am.
0: Do you have a business
1: or any wealth to sustain yourself? "'No, I'm just a poor old woman, dear. "'No one ever bothers with me, and I don't bother with them.'
0: "'What do you eat?' the hunter chimed in plainly.
1: "'Oh, my garden provides for me. "'I have some wonderful summer tomatoes and winter gourds. "'Not to mention I can go down to the river and fish when I feel like it. "'I imagine you'd know something about that being hunter's.'
0: Aye, we do. I noticed you have some elves here in your garden.
1: Oh, yes, I do. I use it for tea, but I'm feeling ill. I take it you're an alchemist.
0: That I am. I came across some Moratapinella earlier, if you're interested.
1: Oh, thank you, but I've managed to gather enough myself.
0: Very good, very good. One should... Always know a little something when one lives off the land. Oh,
1: indeed, they should,
0: Anise agreed. I'm still trying to teach this Clottyload.
1: Oh, is this your apprentice?
0: Aye, that he is, said Bracknell straight-faced. The hunter's neck tensed so he didn't do a double-take hard enough to spin his head. What's more, his hand was starting to ache. He'd have to loosen up the straps soon or he'd lose feeling in it.
1: Well, that's wonderful. Skyrim needs wild men to guide the good people through this harsh land.
0: And the land needs someone to protect it from the good people, Bracknell retorted with a wink. Which is why we need your help. I see. Anise nodded.
1: So you would say that you are here in your capacity as wardens or stewards?
0: Bracknell chuckled. Oh, you make it sound so grand. We're simply children of Skyrim who care for our motherland. The old woman smiled. Well, this is very
1: exciting.
0: How can I help? You said earlier that you fish on occasion. I do. Have you noticed an absence of salmon in the river? I suppose there have been fewer lately,
1: but I still see them around.
0: And what of the histcarp? The hunter interjected, rubbing his augmented hand in what he hoped was a casual way.
1: I'm afraid I don't know what those are. I see. Is that all you need to know?
0: Well, not necessarily. Bracknell leaned forward, crossing his arms over his knees. As you have said, we are here as wardens. We have detected certain anomalies within the natural order. Little things going awry, nature's rhythms being disturbed. Each incident when viewed on its own is strange. But when taken together? Bracknell looked at the woman through his bushy eyebrows. The mountain is sick. More and more the critters are being affected by it. We've come to root out this illness and hopefully send it on its way. If you could draw us a map to help us get around that would be ideal, but first... Do you know what's happening here? Anise looked at Bracknell steadily. Then appraised the ground, threading and unthreading her fingers.
1: I fear that I do.
0: She confessed.
1: Though I had no idea that their influence had gone that far.
0: Bracknell leaned in so far he was in danger of falling out of his chair. What do you mean?
1: You see, about three months ago, this young fellow came by. He seemed nice enough, but I sensed a dark pit in his heart. He wandered up into the peaks above the falls, and I haven't seen him since, but lately i felt an unnatural cold coming from the mountain. At night, I've heard terrifying sounds come by on the wind, whispers of spirits and unnatural monstrosities. I fear the mountain has become home. A necromancer.
0: Thank you for listening to Chapter Eleven of the Skyrim Audio Adventure. It is good to be back. To new listeners out there, welcome. To old listeners, welcome back. Glad you stuck around. I'd like to give a shout out to Carol Hicks for not only being a patron, but also for killing it as both Delphine and Denise in this episode. I'm looking to finish the year strong, so I'm not going to waste your time. I'm going to get right back to work. Get chapter 12 on the way. A lot has happened for me and my family. Some of it tragic, some of it extremely exciting. For all you out there, I wish nothing but the best. And once again, thanks for listening.